Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is episode 32. Unfortunately, it's the tragic headlines that grab us. We read further to find out what happened. We may shake our heads in disbelief, but then we quickly move on because after all, it's just another tragic story that didn't happen to us. Hi, I'm Bob Williams. And you know what? I really believe it is essential to hear each other's stories. To me, it's what really makes a community feel like home. In fact, that's why I started the Sarasota Stories podcast. It's a podcast completely dedicated to helping people just like you get connected a little deeper with our neighbors in the greater Sarasota area. I do my best to bring you some of the most interesting business leaders, civic leaders, artists and authors, entrepreneurs, physicians, philanthropists, and others who are making a positive impact in our town. My guest today is Melissa Wandel. She was that story. She was that headline 18 years ago. Newly married, a new home, and nine months pregnant, she got a phone call that dramatically changed her life forever. In this episode, you will learn what terrible news Melissa got as a young mother, her incredible response and lifelong advocacy quest to help others, where her personal strength comes from, the Florida statute she got passed to improve highway safety, the Florida foundation she started for children grieving the loss of a loved one, and much, much more. I'm so glad you stopped by today. It is my hope that you will listen that you will learn, but most importantly, that you will connect. Melissa Wandel is the founder of the Mark Wandel Foundation, the president of the National Coalition for Safer Roads. It was instrumental in passing the Florida Mark Wandel Traffic Safety Act. She's also a coalition member of the Alert Today Florida, also involved with the campaign brand ambassador and driving down heartache. Melissa Wandel, welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I, I must admit, when I prepare for these interviews and do the background research, a lot of times it's it's very fun seeing somebody's building a new organization or they're, you know, maybe it's some bright-eyed and bushy-tailed uh, entrepreneur or whatnot. But I also love getting people on here that they took up a cause that was kind of forced upon them rather than something that they initially intended to do. And so you're the founder of the Mark Wandel Foundation. I'm sure our listeners are wondering, well, what the heck is that? And we're going to get into that a little bit, but you're also the National Coalition for Safer Roads. You're the president of that. 
And that's an interesting legislation that was passed in 2010. It was instrumental in passing it for the Florida Mark, excuse me, for the Florida's Mark Wandel Traffic Safety Act. Tell us how you got that passed and, and why you got involved with it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So, you know, it's it's amazing what we what path we take in life. You know, we're walking along and walking on this journey that we think that we're going to be on. We have a path set for us. And sometimes out of nowhere, um, God says, whoops, I think you're going to take a detour for a little bit. Maybe something that I never saw you take but we'll walk along this road together. And um, that's really what happened. I got into um, passing the Mark Wandel Traffic Safety Act because on October 24th of 2003, uh, my beautiful husband, we've been married a year and five days. We were nine months pregnant uh, with our first child. Uh, We had just moved into a brand new home and uh, my brother was living with us at the time from upstate New York and he just wanted to see if he was going to stay in the area. We had room in the new home Um, and on October 24th, uh, we were all going to go out to dinner and I didn't feel well from my pregnancy and my husband and my brother just left to go take a bite to eat and my husband said, but I'm going to miss you, Melissa. Um, I wish you'd come with us and I said, well, I'm going to miss you too, silly, but I'll see you in a few hours. And a few hours, I got a phone call um, that there was a crash just a mile from our home, and it did not look like my husband was going to make it. And um, I did that trek, nine months pregnant, hopped in my car, got to the intersection of State Road 70 and Tara Boulevard, just a mile from our home. And there was just a scene that you never want to see. You know, you stand there, there's lights and sirens everywhere, and the world just stopped. Um, and my husband was the passenger. My brother was the driver. They were stopped at a red light. The left arrow turned green for my brother to proceed through the intersection. And when he did, a motorist traveling anywhere from 48 to 52 miles an hour ran the light and uh, caused a horrific crash that ended um, my husband's life and uh, completely debilitated emotionally and physically my brother who is now 49 years old and walks with a cane um, and is debilitated. And we lost my husband. And two weeks later, our little girl, Madison Grace, was born. So, you know, you're put on this path. And I didn't want to be a broken mommy. I wanted to do something to curb the behaviors of red light running. Um, And without going deeply into it, it took a lot of research, a lot of research of what other people were doing around the country. Um, The person that took... Uh, my husband's life had 10 points on their license and seven previous violations. Last offense was for running a red light and being ticketed for it. So now they not only took a ticket, but they took a life, um, mm. you know, and our traffic laws are very flawed. And so it, I wanted to find a way to prevent it. You know, um, the, the person received a $500 fine in community service and I left them there. I did not carry them with me. Um, that was not my cross to bear. Um, it was for me to raise my daughter in a beautiful, loving, um, home that I promised my husband that night and my daughter when she was born. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. I, and again, as I was doing research for this, I mean, and and just for our listeners, Mm -hmm. just know that there's, there's a lot of good stuff to come because this is a very heavy story that Melissa has just shared with us. But when I was reading about this, I'm thinking, you know, I couldn't come back from that. Yeah. I mean, to, to, have, to have lost my wife or 
And so, I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of gobsmacked by your response. My to husband. Such a, such a traumatic, to such a traumatic event in your life. And that was how, and that was how long ago? That was 18 years ago um, on October 24th of 2003. And, you know, it truly was um, trying to find a way to curb those behaviors because my husband was a beautiful man. He did not deserve to right. lose his life like that. And for me, it was a, the love was, I mean, the physical love was no longer present and it never will right. be again. And so I had to find a way to share that love that we had because it was so beautiful. It was really good. And so for me personally, I had to find a way to reach out to others, seeing what my brother was going through, what our families were going through. And the fact that my daughter would never know her father because oh somebody made a decision that was absolutely 100% preventable. Right. Right. Well, how long did it take for you then to, I mean, you had to have been numb and stunned for quite some time. How long did it take for you to say, I have to turn this around. I have to do something positive and I have to do something where these types of things don't happen anymore. It was immediate. I don't know if it's the fact that I was nine months pregnant, um, knowing I was having my daughter within a couple of weeks after she was born and seeing her face and seeing what she was missing. I honestly didn't want any other kids or families to go through it if they didn't have to. So I wanted to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Not that it didn't hurt then and not that it doesn't hurt now because that ache never goes away. I mean, you manage it, you move through oh it, but that work was truly about the fact that I wanted, I didn't want my husband to die for nothing. I wanted his life-saving legacy to really mean something to other people. And that's why people don't understand life happens, life ends in a moment when we make the decision not to pay attention out on our roadways, you know, and Right. You know, the Mark Wandel Traffic Safety Act is the red light safety cameras at the intersections in the state of yep. Florida. Um, and people yell about that. But what people don't understand, it's a combination. It's not just the red light safety cameras that are going to yep. just solve it all. It's it's law enforcement. It's advocacy. It's education. It's the engineering. It is a combination of things at the end of the day that will save lives. And that's what I had to look at. I had to look at, you know, I had to move forward and know and look at my daughter, especially, yes. and know that. There's some other little girl or little boy that's not going to have to be born into a tragedy because somebody has learned how to stop on red. What do the um, roundabouts that are going in? Is this a part of that? Because I, so I and I've not read much about it, but mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people are walking about the roundabouts because it backs up traffic. But one of the purposes behind it, my understanding is, is they put the roundabouts in because if you do have a accident, it's not a T-bone event. It's where it's a glancing blow. Is yes. That yes. Talk about that. Yes. And also the thing about roundabouts is we're always like people are uber conscious. Okay. Right. Of right. Of roundabouts and how yes. to drive around them. So there's a lot of education out there, especially alert today, Florida. They have so much education on their website. We do campaigns all the time, but people don't look at that. Right. They, they're just like, well, I'm going to figure out how to go around these roundabouts where they're going slower. Right. They're going much slower, slower. And they're so much more mindful of their driving yes. when they're doing roundabouts. So it causes less crashes because people are 
hyper aware that they don't want to run into somebody or they don't want to cut somebody off. They want to be very careful maneuvering those roundabouts. And that's what makes them so much safer. When you're out at a light, we already know we live on these big state roads and in these cities and we do whatever we can. Ah, it's just another light. I can get through it. You know, I can go, I'll, I'll go, you know, my front tires will go over on yellow, but then they'll go the rest of them on red and that's not running a red light, but you're still creating um, havoc out there at these intersections with these, um, with, you know, with people running these lights where at the roundabouts, you don't have that opportunity. People are uber aware. Um, they're slowing down because that's what's happening. It's why people are getting killed on our Florida roadways is because of speed. Yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And we, yeah. for many years, we I've been living in Sarasota for eight years, come down from the Cincinnati area for 40 years for vacation and whatnot. And boy, I'll tell you what, it, it's, it's flying on 75, but I guess maybe it's there's a lot of danger out there, but then also some of these side streets, unfortunately, where your, your husband was killed. Right. Yeah, it, it, it is. And people, the unfortunate part is we live in the state of Florida where fortunately we're able to walk, bike and walk, right? So people aren't making good decisions at intersections. And when there's people biking and walking, um, they don't, they're, if my husband couldn't survive in a car, you know, most people cannot survive when they're hit on a bike or a pedestrian in a crosswalk. Right. I mean, I would love to ride my bike uh, on the bike paths out there on the highway, but you got three really bad things that are happening. You have an older uh, group out there. Mm -hmm. You unfortunately have drugs and now you got texting. Yes. And there's just no way that I'm going to ride my bike on the side of the road. No, I, you know what? I, I agree with you. And, and yeah. bicyclists are motorists in the state of Florida. Most bicyclists, yeah. some go out there, they may not know that, but they are bicyclists. They have to obey the rules of the road. But a lot of times you people are texting and driving. They're distracted. They could be distracted thinking about what they're going to eat that night or what they're going to do for their family. It's not just about the texting and driving. It's about yeah. just people being completely unaware and distracted and then you just you know you don't pay attention for a second you're going to clip somebody on a bicycle and it's not worth it it's not worth it to me either well melissa you helped get the mark wandel traffic safety act passed mm-hmm. as we were talking earlier take us through what does it take to get something like that passed as far as research and then obstacles you have to overcome and i'm sure you have to be tenacious and stay with it because there's there's opposition all along the way but Take us a little bit through that process of what that looked like in order to get the act passed. Absolutely. It's not for the faint at heart. Um, It truly is not. You know, people used to tell me, um, you have to do the Michael Jackson. I was like, what do you mean you have to do the Michael Jackson? We have to do the moonwalk. Um, (laughs) Because you walk into a door, you better walk back out the Michael Jackson way. Because what they tell you in person is not always what they end up doing. And let me say, first of all, we have a lot of great representatives and senators. I will absolutely say that. But there are a lot of people, a lot of representatives and senators that are also up there for their own you know they don't they don't want to hear about a red light safety camera they don't want to hear about advocacy um, for certain things because it's just not their priority um, and so first of all I, when I was researching the red light safety cameras well I was researching how, what can we do in this country you know to curb the behaviors of red light running and the the automated enforcement just kept coming up so I just kept 
truly just kept studying it and finding out where they were doing it, what, where it worked, where it didn't work, why did it work? Why did it work? And then right. just started bringing representatives. Uh, Ron, Ron Reagan was one of our representatives that ended up passing the bill, um, bringing him on. And then I just speak everywhere I could speak, you know, to tell my story and to sure. talk about it. But here's the thing. You can't go up to Tallahassee. I, they were just, I wasn't just a widow that was weeping for my husband. I really, you have to have critical knowledge. That's the five stages of ad- advocacy that you were talking about. A little, we were good, talking good. about. And I want to go into that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's truly, it's just the, it's, it's, it's basically you, you go into something, you better know what you're talking about when you're trying to pass a bill. Um, the first thing, there's so many great lobbyists. So you work with lobbyists, you work with senators, you work with representatives, you work with law enforcement, you work to come right. up with a really good bill. Um, you can repurpose the bills that are in other states, but yet make them better. So we went through that whole process, but I had to know everything about the bill from A to Z. I had to know everything about the red light safety cameras. Um, So I not only had compassion, but you have to have articulate knowledge. Yes. Because if you don't have articulate knowledge, first of all, the reporters are going to, you know, put you on, throw you under the bus. Of course. Um, And so aren't the, you know, so aren't those senators and the representatives, our policymakers, even our city council, um, uh, county commission, because you have to go through all of them as well and get their support in order to get help up in Tallahassee. So you really have to know what you're talking about. And so the five stages of advocacy is really about, you know, having that critical knowledge and having that compassion. Um, and truly, um, you know, you have to know what what your what your goal is. You know, why do you want to pass this bill? Because when I was up there, I had a couple of senators that said, well, Mrs. Wanda, do you really think that this bill will bring your husband back? And I'm like, it wasn't even about bringing him back. Right. It was about moving forward so that somebody else, so you could curb the behavior so that somebody else, you could reduce the risk at these intersections so that somebody else might live. Um, And so you just have to be very strong. I mean, I had people call me and leave messages on my machine at the time when I had a, you know, a machine that said, you know, I, one when the bill finally passed after five years of education and outreach, the bill finally passed. I got all kinds of calls from people that said just, just a few people, but they're loud that said, God will punish you for what you've done. You know, I mean, and you have to just be able to know that that's their like ignorance that everybody can, nobody has to have the same opinion about things. There's people that do not like automated enforcement at all. That's, I honor that, but don't yell about it. Don't scream about it. You really yeah. have to, yeah. you know, we have to come together. We we can come together as a society and work on things um, that'll be better for everybody. But sometimes people just don't want that. And when you're advocating for something, you have to yeah. understand. And you can't be an angry advocate. You sure. know, a lot of people that have had loss are angry with every good way. But I think that God gave me grace. You know, we named our daughter. Madison Grace, oh. and she is the grace of God. I swear to you, and and I think <laughs> of that all the time. And I'm like, God gave me the grace to be able to be up there because I never thought that I would even pass a bill or work to pass a bill. And it took five years. And then once the bill was passed, May thirteenth, two thousand ten, the bill was in repeal 
every single solitary year, even up to this year to 2022, we have a representative that likes to always bring it up. It doesn't, it hasn't gone anywhere, but you just have to, you have to, if you are willing, you know what? I really believe that if there's a mission that you're on and, and, God wants you to see it through. He brings people all around because that bill wasn't just about me passing, um, passing that bill. That was about every single person that came around to say, we believe in this and we want to help you, you know, get here so that we can save lives. So, so take us through the five stages. Then you said the first one, you do have to have a goal. That's your first stage. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's just that you, I don't have the specifics of it. I speak on it. I speak on it. So, um, but it's, it's basically, you have to have that, um, you have to have that authentic knowledge, you know, you have to have that critical compassion, um, when somebody is, um, you know, when you have to be able to share why your why, what is, what is your why? Yeah. What is your why to be able to articulate it? Um, but then you also have to just be able to, you know, to bring that advocacy all together, um, not just for you, but for all of the people around you. And you actually speak and consult on that. Is that correct? I do. Yeah, I do. I do advocacy consulting. I work with people or organizations, but I also speak. Yes, I also speak on it as well. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I I want to make sure that we leave enough time to really cover the, kind of the meat of, of, of what we wanted to get together about, which was to talk about the Mark Wandel Foundation, which you formed back in 2003. So I'd really like to talk about that because I recently had Debbie Mason from Tidewell on. And so they do a lot of counseling with grief for children similar to you. And so, I mean, I was completely ignorant about it. I've never gone through such a scenario. And it was very um, it was eye-opening for me and actually gratifying to, to know the organizations are out there doing such things. But, but talk about your foundation and um, where are you taking it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And Tidewell is Tidewell Blue Butterfly. They're great. We work, we partner with them, with our kids. We share all of our, yeah, we share all of our kids. That's what we've done from the beginning once they formed um, Blue Butterfly. So I got to be on that committee as well, which was really incredible. Um, So the Mark Wandel Foundation, we're dedicated to facilitate support for children, teens, and young adults who've had a parent, sibling, or guardian die. Um, and so we do that through three ways. We have a camp called We Partner with Comfort Zone Camp, which is the number one grief camp in the country. We essentially raise funds to bring them to Florida, which two weeks ago in April, we had our yearly camp um, and where we served 63 kids, seven to 17. We had over 80 volunteers um, and it's a sleepover camp. Um, it's a Friday through a Sunday and it's just amazing because the kids learn that they're not the only one that has lost a parent that has had a parent die or a sibling. Um, they don't, they no longer feel isolated. They connect. So once they're at camp, then what I want to do is I like to keep my eyes on them. It's great. We have social media, the kids can you know, text each other, whatever, but they form such great friendships. And then the families start to support one another through the connection with the kids that what I like to do is bring those kids back together for what we call reconnects, whether it's a barbecue and a, 
in a basketball game, a barbecue and a kickball game, just to bring the kids together and the families together so they continue to know they're not alone. Um, we have a college scholarship. We started two years ago. We have $10,000 that we're able to give. Um, we had over 22 kids. Um, we haven't chosen those kids yet, but we had over 22 kids apply. And then we do prospect writing center, um, once a month with them to connect them. And the horse therapy is incredible for these kids. Um, and again, I started the Mark Wando foundation the same time I started um, working on the Mark Wando traffic safety act, but truly having a daughter born into loss already. I wanted to be able to have her have a place um, to know that she wasn't alone. Um, but also I, my sister died when I was 12 and she was 14 and my brother was seven. Um, she had cancer and it, it was isolating when she died. It, it was so isolating. There were no programs. Um, and I knew how I felt. And so for me, it was just a no brainer when my husband passed um, to be able to honor my sister and my husband and honor all these kids and families to bring them together, um, to be able to connect. And that's the great thing. The camp is where there is counseling, but other than that, the counseling for us is the, um, connecting the kids. And then we turn them to blue butterfly for the counseling. How long does the camp last? Is it a week or a few days or it's just three days. It's a Friday through a Sunday. Um, we need a second camp. We have been, I mean, the biggest thing that we need is we had 19 kids on a wait list. Um, we whittled it down a little bit, but at the end of the day, we still left at least a dozen kids on a wait list. And when kids are in grief, you don't wait, you don't leave them on a wait list. I mean, our motto is you know, no child should ever grieve alone. And I mean that, and I don't like leaving them. Um, but we just don't have the funding to have two camps a year. And we need it in Sarasota, Bradenton area, because the, you know, one in 12 kids in the state of Florida will have a parent, sibling, or guardian die by the time that they're 18. Yes. Yes. I think Debbie Mason had shared that with me in, in an earlier interview. I, I, did, I had no idea that, that it was that high. But so, so what are some more of the activities that you guys do together? That Because, you know, kids can be at different stages of life. They, they process stress. They process loss differently. And then they're teenagers. They're going through that as well. So how do you navigate that to really get them to, to kind of come out of the, the shell that they might have coming into the camp? Oh, the camp is great because they, what they get to do is we have outward bound activities that they do. Um, we have healing circles where it's where they get to actually, they're, first of all, they're broken down into their age groups. So they're all in appropriate age groups. I mean, you'll seven and eight year olds are get together, you know, it goes right up onto that 17, 18 year old. They're not, they're all put in with their own age group. It's challenged by choice. If they want to talk about their feelings, they can, if they don't, they don't have to. Every counselor volunteers their time and they are absolutely grief counselors. So they're able to help them through that weekend, help them talk about them, their feelings or talk about what their needs are. And then they go back into their communities and we help place them if they need further therapy. But at the camp, 
um, the, the, the outward bound activities, like eating dinner, even you see these kids come in and then some of these kids are like scared. They don't really want to be there. And then by the time dinner time, they're all like that. The whole thing is, is like banging on the tables for dinner. Like when they bang on the tables before they start eating every single time. And it's so, it's so great. You know, they do this great blessing and, um, they all, and they're, they're bigs. We have, we train, they, there's, they're called bigs. So every kiddo has, um, a big, which is a volunteer that has to train, do a six hour training, um, to be, you know, with these kids for the weekend. Um, and they also, we all stay in cabins. It's in Fruitland Park. Um, so it's, it's centrally located for, you know, whether a kid's in Jacksonville or whether they're in Miami. Now, is this Florida only or do you get kids from out of state? It's Florida only. We do take a couple of the kids that we've had before um, in Florida and they had to move out just because of their loss. You know, that's a thing a lot of people don't realize, too. With loss comes loss of income. Um, the primary, you know, caregiver usually is the one 90 percent of our kids have lost their dads. Um, and so, you know, that the, that's gone. And so these kids have to move out of state. And when they do, we, you know, it's, I can't not take them. So we're like, nope, come on back. Because the wheeling, the weekend is such a healing weekend. On Sunday, they finish up with a memorial service because kids don't get to be a part of the memorial service of, of making any of those plans. So they get to memorialize their loved one any way they want, whether they sing a song um, I had a little girl named Bella a long time ago. She was eight. She's now 16 years old, but she came up to me when she was eight. And she said, I just remember she, her dad was three when she died, but she remembered fishing with him. And she just said this little thing said, miss Melissa. I just, I miss my daddy. And we used to fish together all the time. So I went and found her a fishing pole. And so she pretended in front of everybody at this memorial service, because that's when the caregivers come back to watch these kids, to see what they've done all weekend. And you see this little Bella standing there and just pretending to fish. And she's just like, I just, and it's, it's, it's gut wrenching because she is, you know, she's like, this is what I remember. This is how I remember my dad. And this is how I want to honor him at the memorial service. And it's beautiful. And it's beautiful and it's healing and it's hard. Well, I, I thought we had agreement before we went live that you were not supposed to make the, um, the interviewer cry. <laughs> I, I have, I have three daughters and one daughter loves to fish and we have, a, we have a wonder memory of, of going up to Canada. She, she was probably, I don't know, seven years old and she had all these fish and she had, had a great time. So it really, you know, it's interesting. You and I were both talking about Charles Stanley before we went live here. He told, and, and for those listeners who never don't know Charles Stanley, he's a, he's a famous pastor. But he he used to, when he when he was a younger man on Saturdays he would get very depressed and he couldn't figure out the reason why. And he finally figured it out one time. It was because he lost his father when he was a young boy, and he remembers seeing a lot of his friends going out on Saturdays fishing or playing soccer or football or whatever it was. And so he was not able to do that. And so I'm just thinking, you know, this type of healing that you're providing at this age gives these children a process and an understanding that they would not have had otherwise. And they also have a connection with, with a group around them. It's amazing. 
Yes. Yeah. And they have to, and, and it's also good because they know they're not alone, but during that weekend, they learned that they can be angry, but they've got to find a venue to be angry in. they can be happy. They can be happy. Yes, they can be happy. I mean, that's the biggest thing is letting them know that they can smile and find joy. That's what's so important to me because it's really hard when you lose somebody. The last thing you want to do is you're worried. If I'm happy, is somebody going to think I don't miss my dad or my mom or my sister? You know, and so it's really important um, to teach them how to be happy. And if we don't get these kids now, in their grief, then they're going to drink it. They're going to smoke it. They're going to do things with it. They're going to be their Their anger, their anger is going to be beyond, you know, comprehension of what they can do. And we don't want them to have to do that. And, you know, you, it, the, the thing is like, for me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 54 years old. I don't mind saying that. And my sister died when I was 12. And I just remember Sundays still, I still have a feeling of Sundays because she and my mom or she and my dad would always have to leave to go get chemotherapy uh, three hours away and they'd be gone for a week. So, you know, those thoughts are in, are embedded, like you said, in your head. Um, like how, how people feel and, and we want people to know that that's okay to have those feelings, but there's also ways that we can work through those as well. So Melissa, where does your strength come from? My strength comes from God. Well, that's a wonderful testimony mm-hmm. because you've done, you've done a lot with your life since that, that tragic day. And so we appreciate it. Absolutely. I couldn't do anything without the grace of God. He brings me through each and every day. So I'm grateful that he chose me to, to walk this path, but he hasn't left me. He hasn't left me yet. Right. Well, I, I do want to take some time here to let people know how they can get in touch with you or volunteer or whatnot. But you also have an annual Memorial Weekend for golf. Talk about that. Yes. So every um, the end of October or the beginning of November, it's been the end of October lately, we have a um, golf tournament at the Legacy at Lakewood Ranch. Not exactly sure the exact date this year yet, but that's where we raise our funds um, to be able to, you know, continue sending these kids to camp. Um, to be able to continue having these services. It's really important. Our community really needs it. Most people don't understand the amount of kids in Sarasota and Bradenton alone fill like three quarter, fill a quarter of our camp and could fill more, but our camp fills within 24 hours. Um, But what also helps us too is like we, you know, the Sarasota Community Foundation and the Patterson Foundation are running a giving challenge on the 26th and 27th. And so we are a part of that. Um, And so every donation, $25 to $100 is matched one-on-one. And that, you know, that really helps us. We're we're really hopeful that, you know, um, those two days of the Giving Challenge, we're really excited about that because we can really utilize it to um, hopefully build towards that second camp so we don't have to leave these kids behind. Well, where can people find out more about you? You're on Facebook. You're on where, where, where all are you? Yes. So first of all, you can just go to the Mark Wandel foundation.org. Um, and Wandel is W A N D A L L. So it's the Mark Wandel foundation.org. Um, but on social media, we are on Facebook, we are on Instagram and we are on, um, Twitter 
And then Melissa Wandel is on LinkedIn, where I put a lot of the foundation information as well. Well, my, oh, my. I always thought my mother was the uh, toughest woman I ever knew. She and, my, she and my father actually met at the Pentagon during the Korean War. So she made it to the Pentagon, and she was a no, no not, she was a wonderful woman. I miss her every day, but she was a no-nonsense gal. But I'm telling you what, you're, you're, you're pretty tough to be able to come over those huge setbacks in life and to take your life in this direction to help so many people. And it's, uh, I'm so glad I had you on this show. Thank you so much. I just feel it's, again, it's God's grace. And, and I always believe we have to step into love daily because love will move us through our most defining moments. And that's what love has done for me. Um, it may sound campy and simple to some people, but it is, you know, if you believe in something in your heart, you, you can do it. You know, you can do anybody out there can do anything they want to do. They just have to believe in themselves enough to do it. And once you believe in yourself, you know, there will be people that will come around to help you and, you know, and catapult you in a place of, of love. So thank you so much. It has been such an honor today to be on this, you know, show with you and, and to, to talk with you. Um, I'm just and grateful that, that uh, you had me on your show. So thank you so much. Well, you are quite welcome. Let's do it again. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.